Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Both Sides of the Stethoscope podcast. This is season two, episode eight. Again, thank you so much for sticking with us. I know we can sometimes go on long periods of time without an episode, but as a reminder, I am Dr. <laughs> I'm Dr. Colby Salerno, one of your hosts, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Aline Gregosian. Hi, everyone. We are very excited to be back today, especially because it's summertime, and with summertime comes lots of traveling and anyone out there with a chronic medical condition being immunocompromised or having any organ transplant knows that you have to think about a few things that the average population doesn't when you're traveling. Uh, So we're very excited today to have on with us Travels with Transplant, uh, who is a pilot and kidney transplant recipient. So welcome on. Hello, everyone. Aline Colby, thank you for having me. We're We're excited to have you. Exactly. Very excited to have you here. Definitely a new direction for us. Um, You know, very important in terms of the medical field. And I think you can give a lot of pointers that maybe even doctors cannot given how much you travel. I hope that I can be of help, (laughs) but I definitely do travel. Absolutely. So you are a pilot and you got a kidney transplant a few years ago. What is your story? So what happened? What led up to your transplant and how are you doing now? Okay. Um, I received a preemptive kidney transplant four and a half years ago, and it was a result of autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease, which I was actually first in my family diagnosed with. So I was diagnosed with that in infancy, and as a result, my father was also diagnosed. Uh, This year, by the way, my father celebrates 24 years successful cadaver kidney transplant, so wow. that's amazing. Pretty, pretty awesome. Absolutely. So he kind of, um, I guess, felt out the waters with regard to kidney failure. And I kind of witnessed that through him. Um, I had a relatively uneventful childhood, or if you could call it a normal childhood, thanks to my talented doctors at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, I grew up near there. And my nephrologist of 30 years was actually the doctor that introduced our family to PKD. She advised my parents to raise me like a normal child, keep me on a low sodium diet and out of contact sports. But for all practical purposes, everything was a a normal childhood. I was on blood pressure medicine from age 12 until the transplant. And thankfully, I no longer need that. But aside from that, I had very few complications with the disease, um, with the exception of a case of pyelonephritis or kidney um, infection in college. I was hospitalized for that. Um, Everything was completely normal, began my career. And at age 30, however, that doctor told me that my kidneys were failing sooner than I had planned. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because you can plan for these things, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) so I started a very rigorous, um, series of exercise and a renal diet, and I was able to continue working. I qualified for the UNOS deceased donor list, and I was told three to six years and miraculously six months later, I received a kidney transplant. Wow, that's crazy. So were you on dialysis? It really is. I never... I never went on dialysis. I figured I was about a year away. And Uh, uh, like I I said, I mean, I was doing absolutely everything. 45 minutes a day exercise. I was still working, but I was on a very strict diet and carrying food along with me on the road. So 
Yeah, so I received that that call, and that was kind of a break from work for only six months, which is incredible. And then I was wow. requalified for the aviation medical, and I returned to work six months later. That's Incredibly blessed. Yeah. So I do want to know, though, what was the call like for you? So the call was a bit chaotic. It was it was right around Christmas time, and by happenstance. See, as pilots, we're not always based at home, and I was based in a different uh, base at the time, but I happened to have an overnight in the Seattle area where I'm from. So I actually did uh, a little um, winter wonderland walk that night, and we finished up our dinner, and we talked about dialysis options because they wanted me to kind of get ready for that just in case. Then my husband drove me to the airport in the morning, and I took off. And I actually didn't receive the call. So my husband, I was flying. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he received the call. We we landed at the destination and he's like, you need to call me (laughs) right now. Oh my God. So, yep. He had fielded the call. He had done all the research. He's like, she can get there in time. But she needs to be the one to make this decision. And of course, you know, in the pilot mindset, we're always on a mission. And he called me and he said, hey, they have a kidney for you. And I'm like, but wait, no, I'm supposed to fly in an hour and a half. And he's like, (laughs) they could call you back in three days or three years. And I didn't have three years. (laughs) So it was like, okay, today is about me. And, you know, fortunately, I called up my company. I told them honestly, what was going on, they pulled me from the trip and they positive spaced me to get to Minnesota in time for the transplant. Uh, That means that they put you on as a passenger with positive Uh, space. So in other words, you're not standby, like you are going to be a passenger on that flight. And that was the only flight that would get me there in time because I had nine hours (laughs) and I, I got there in eight and a half. So it was, it was, you know, as I mentioned, we're on a mission. So at that point that changed my mission. And, you know, I got in there eight and a half hours later and my parents were there with me. My husband didn't make it until after the fact, just because he had to get the dog to boarding and stuff. We weren't planning for six months. Yeah. Um, And yeah, we got in and that's kind of when it hits, you know, you realize that you, this is your incredible miracle. And then there's a family that's grieving at the same time so but yeah we got there you know yeah that's such an incredible story <laughs> thanks and it yeah. sounds kind, <laughs> kind of unusual yeah <laughs> yeah i totally forgot that like as a pilot you can't answer your phone you know so that's like the thing that you have to do when you're waiting for transplant so that's crazy that at least at least your husband got it though <laughs> He did. And we, we went on the list, you know, out of the region. Most people don't know you can list for another region, but you're responsible for getting there on time. So we signed up for, you know, a kidney transplant at my local, well, my childhood hospital, Mayo Clinic, because that's where all my doctors were. But, you know, we understood that I might miss a call or two, you know, in the process of it. So it all, it all kind of came together. Thankfully, yeah, that's a beautiful story. Thanks. Yeah, and it sounds like everything is going well now since the transplant. 
Yes. Yeah. I've had like one minor bout with neutropenia a year and four months in. So for the listeners that are not doctors from, and I'm not a doctor, but I learned that that means my neutrophils. So a type of white blood cell, it just kind of went poof (laughs) in about a week. And I didn't feel any different, but thankfully this is why you do your routine labs. Um, It was discovered with routine blood work. So I had one little bout with that. And um, Nupigen helped to bring that back up, just one dose. And then oh. since then, like absolutely nothing. It's been very uneventful and I have great kidney function and things are going very well. Good. Knock on wood. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> amen. And we're certainly happy as well and so excited to have you here. And we talk with transplant patients a lot, but you are our first pilot, which is very exciting. So tell us what got you into that field of work. So my father is actually actually afraid of flying. <laughs> and he was the at-home dad growing up. He didn't want to pass the fear of flying on to me. And so when I was 12, he heard that if your kid gets good grades, they can go out to the local airport and they can um, learn how to fly. Basically, you present the report card and they introduce your child to flight. So he asked if I'd be interested in that. And unbeknownst to him, I had already fallen in love with the view on the one flight we took in childhood. But I didn't oh. know girls could be pilots, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember looking yeah. out the window, you know, as a kid and just being mesmerized with the view and knowing that I wanted to see it forever again. So flash forward to age 12 and what I now know as the EAA, Experimental Aircraft Association, the Young Eagles program. Um, They were the ones hosting it at the local airport and a young man that owned his own single engine four-seat aircraft was volunteering his time in his aircraft to take kids like me up for a flight. So we went through a little mini ground school, learned how airplanes flew. And then um, before I knew it, I was in the air and he looked over at me and he's like, would you like to take the controls? And I look at him and I say, I'm 12. (laughs) I can do that. (laughs) Can I do that? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, show me a turn. So delicately, I I showed him a turn and he was like, that was great. You could be a pilot someday. I think he could... (laughs) I think he could see the light in my eyes because I was like, really? And he gave me one of his old sectional charts. And my dad said that I floated across the tarmac and I declared that I wasn't afraid of flying and I was going to be a pilot someday. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that's really endearing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love no, that absolutely. story. I Thank actually you. realized not only are you the only like pilot with a transplant, I think you're just, you're the only pilot I know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, you're definitely the only pilot I now know. Oh, you guys. No, I'm I'm honored to be a part of your podcast. Um, I think I think Eileen, you were probably one of the people when it came to me wanting to share my story when I saw that you had the courage and confidence as a doctor to share your story with transplant. I was like, well, why shouldn't I? You know? Yeah, that's so. really nice. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad you shared yeah. But speaking of which if you're a pilot with a transplant, are there any specific things you tell people who are immunocompromised as to like what to do when they're flying? 
So <clears throat> when you're flying, um, what I have always done, but especially post-transplant, uh, first and foremost, I'm still wearing my mask. And I really think that everybody, especially immunocompromised people should. I mean, you come in contact with so many people and contract tracing isn't what it should be. Um, and so I think just keep wearing your mask. Like nobody wants to be on vacation or going to that once in a lifetime um, wedding or whatever the case and be sick. So um, wear your mask. Uh, I get on and I wipe everything down. <laughs> so I wipe everything yeah. around around the seat um, off with like Lysol wipes that I bring on, on board. And then I open up the vent. I know that's like sometimes not very popular, but mm -hmm. from an engineering standpoint, more airflow around you, the better. Um, our, the vent, uh, the, the air system with on the, on the aircraft is replaced every three minutes. So especially when oh. you're up, up aloft. So it's, it's really a relatively safe environment. What you're more so trying to mitigate the risk you're trying to mitigate is the person right next to you coughing, you know? Right. Um, mm. so, so there's that. Um, in addition, if I have to take a drink or eat, I think it's the bigger risk is getting dehydrated on a long flight or, yeah. um, you know, not staying nourished. So if I have to do that, I time it opposite whenever they're delivering the meals or the snacks around. And likewise with my medications, I time that kind of opposite as well. And then I don't, I try not to take my mask off on the ground when they're de-icing or, um, you know, anytime the airflow is restricted up at, up at altitude, it's, it's a lot better. So that would be the best times to kind of time. And you're, you're talking about the little thing, like on top of the seat, right? The, the vent. Ex exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The airflow vent up there. I always bring my own water and snacks on board just so that I can time it a little bit better. And then mm -hmm. hand sanitizer is huge. When I get into the airport, I've always loved just washing my hands. <laughs> I don't, yeah. you know, for real is what, you know, kind of what I look at it, but definitely use hand sanitizer too. So I think yeah. as medical professionals, like I'm so used to constantly sanitizing my hands anyway. So it's always something I do even outside of work. Um, I'm sure Kobe feels the same way, but like yeah. I especially do it like in the airport too. But I think what's interesting, the the timing of the like food and drink, I, I think I probably like have tried to do that, but sometimes it's not easy because I'm trying to like drink as much water as possible. But yeah, it, it's something to take into consideration for sure. Sometimes I also um, pre-board. So I'll tell them ahead of time that I have a heart transplant. And so I can go on a little bit early. And that those like five minutes are amazing because I can just wipe everything down and take my time and not have to be in people's ways. Absolutely. And that should be something that they should accommodate without even having to say that you're immunocompromised. So right. just simply when they say, you know, anyone that needs pre-boarding, Take that opportunity. Yeah, and those listeners who aren't, don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <of course laughs> that, that, that line to get on the plane is already rough enough. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's another thing. So my roller bag, I use that as a social distancing tool. <laughs> so I'll like drag it behind me, and then I like socially distance myself from the people in front. Although, as we all know, it's just a big mad dash to get in. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you kind of yeah. just have to... You have to do what you have to do, but yeah. 
I think it's great and, too hearing a non-medical person give these type of recommendations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone who's going through it from your side, but you know, is not a doctor, doesn't have any incentive to give this type of information other than this is what you feel is protecting you. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, you know, I, I did take some time off work during the pandemic because I realized that I was at high risk and came in contact with a lot of people. And this was before there were vaccines, before there were, were masking protocols. Um, but when I came back to work, like I absolutely have been masking the entire time I've been back since, I don't know, roughly October of last year. And I've been, I've been healthy, you know, I really do believe that masking makes a big difference and all these little things really help us so that we don't get again, sick on vacation. Like it's not any fun. So, yeah. And sometimes you just have to travel. So I think yeah, it's a exactly. great, great thing. I, I, yeah. I tell people like, I mean, tra- I love traveling. Like it was such a big part of my life before my transplant. And then after transplant, I didn't want to completely let it go. But, you know, I do take as many precautions as possible. But at the same time, like I really want to live my life as as well as I can after transplant. So although it's difficult sometimes, I do think it's it's worth it, at least for me. Everybody's different. So and I think it's completely doable, you know, but yeah. of notes, it's super important. Your biggest resource when planning for trips is your transplant team is talking to your doctors and saying, Hey, I'm thinking about this. Like, I really yeah. want to take advantage of this second chance at life, but what do you think? You know, what yeah. are, and then by the way, how can I get a hold of you if I have an emergency on the road? Right. You know, just know, yeah. knowing that. Yeah. They, they can be such a good resource for you. So not so much in your personal time, but just with your job specifically, which I know is way more traveling than I'm guessing your personal time. I'm sure it's a very busy. (laughs) Do you travel all over the world? Are you mostly USA based? Like, how is that? So I was domestic and Mm -hmm. I flew mostly domestic with with the exception, of course, Canada, Mexico, um, Hawaii before transplant. Mm -hmm. And I always had this dream of flying over the ocean. But then when transplant happened, you know, first and foremost, it was never guaranteed I was coming back after transplant. We follow very strict medical requirements from a pilot standpoint. And, you know, the medical balance is it's delicate. So, you know, up to transplant, I flew over the ocean to go to Hawaii. And I thought it was just the coolest thing. But I still had this box sitting there, you know, like this, this bucket list item of, of traveling over the ocean. And I kind of kept it in the background, kind of tabled it. And I didn't travel internationally because I could kind of, we call it bidding, but we bid for a schedule. I avoided international right after uh, transplant and then the pandemic, because <laughs> it's only been four and a half years since I received right. my So the pandemic happened and I stepped away and then kind of came back and then kind of coincident with that, I had this opportunity to fly a wide body jet across the ocean. And so I did a lot of soul searching and I said to myself, well, it's one of those, like, if you don't do it, you're going to regret that, that you never took that chance, you know? And so I put in for it. And I was awarded it much quicker than I thought. So I'm actually traveling over the ocean now. I go primarily to Western Europe, but I've been over the Pacific as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a relatively recent kind of update. Um, But I I do spend my time traveling wide body aircraft, you know, over, over the ocean. It's a trip and a half. And I wouldn't be doing this without my donor. 
So there's not a day that I don't think about him. That resonates big time with Aline and I. Um, And then that really leads me into the next question was (laughs) when you're traveling across, you know, into other countries and stuff, do you do anything specifically to prepare for that? So, you know, it might come as a surprise, but my biggest effort from a personal standpoint is planning for my pills, planning for my medications. When will I take them? Because I am telling you, there's one thing like traveling from the West to the East Coast of the U.S., but traveling over the ocean in that many time zones, adjusting to that was was a feat for sure. And, you know, you're, you're jet lagged, you're like exhausted when you get there and daytime is nighttime. So I really spend a lot of time kind of planning that out and making sure that I'm setting my medication alarms properly. And then I have multiple ways of reminding myself of which the alarms wake the dead. Because if you ever get sleepy and you take that nap, and you're over in Europe, for example, you need the alarm to wake you up to make sure you get your pills. That's my biggest thing. Um, And then I even like physically print my schedule and I write down, okay, I'm going to take it on the flight during this time. And by the way, it'll be roughly two and a half hours before landing. So if it's gotten to that point in the flight and I haven't taken it, then I know that one of my alarms wasn't set properly, you know, if that makes sense. And then what time is it in Europe when I'm going to take the medications? And I'm telling you, this is confusing because, for example, my 8 a.m. Pacific pills, let's let's say 8 p.m. because it's even more confusing. So let's say it's Friday at 8 p.m. Pacific time. Those medications, I'm taking those at 5 a.m., in Paris on Saturday. So I'm taking my Friday PM pills when the sun is rising in Paris, you know, and there's nothing like quite, quite as disorientating as that. So if you kind of have it on a piece of paper and you've thought through it and after you land, you're like, okay, the next time is going to be five o'clock local and I'm going to take this. And then likewise, I keep myself like an old um, pill case so that I know that the last pills I took was Friday morning. So I'm going to take Friday evening next, you know? Right. Um, But yeah, so I I spend most of my time planning for pills, making sure I refill them as early as I can so that I have a few extras and I always bring extra. I bring it in the regular bottles, like the actual prescription bottles. And then I also bring a a doctor's note just in case I ever ended up like hitched at the customs border with my Mm -hmm. immunosuppressants. I want to make sure that they get in with me. So they're always in my carry-on bag. So that's a big thing. And then in addition, I spend a lot of time trying to keep up with my routines, try to keep active and get get the exercise I need as you mentioned, Aline, super important to stay hydrated because the airplane is like 10% of the Sahara desert. It's a super dry environment. And, you know, um, the hotel rooms are are the same. So Mm -hmm. trying to stay hydrated, well-exercised and getting the sleep that I need to, it's kind of a production, but I try to stay as much on my routines as I can to kind of help myself to stay healthy on the road. How do you put in your exercise routine like in between flights? Because I know you do. One time I was like, oh, I <laughs> once every three days. You're like, no, I literally fly like like for three straight days. <laughs> but how do you get your exercise in? Do you just like go to the hotel gym or is there a place in the airport that you guys get special access to? 
No, that's a, that's a good question. I'm currently not back to the hotel gyms because they do tend to be kind of packed and kind mm-hmm. of busy. So what I do when I don't have the ability to go outside, I've been doing a lot of outside exercise, like I'll, I'll like rent a bike, for example, or like go for a jog at a local park. But if, if I don't have that, I use my computer. I have like Apple Fitness, <laughs> not sponsored. Right. I wish it was, right? Apple <laughs> Plus or whatever. Fitness. I, I have those on Ooh, my Apple computer. Apple and they'll sponsor us. <laughs> right? Yeah, that would be fantastic. Apple's great. Um, so I do that and I download those and then I'll do those in the room too. So I kind of have that as a backup. But I mean, some people go to the gym. Um, I definitely used to before the pandemic. I just haven't gotten back to that comfort yet to yeah. do that. Yep. So you said something that I think uh, I'll give an anecdotal evidence for, and that's to bring extra medication. Uh, yep. I went to Florida and I did not bring extra medication and we ended up getting stranded there for two days. And so like three total with the, when the flight was going to be, and I ran out of meds and I ended up having to call my doctors, get them to prescribe a short course of medications to a CVS down in Florida. Um, I had to get like an Uber there cause I didn't have a car. Um, and it turned into a huge hassle. And so now every time I travel, I have days worth of extra medication. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can bring as much as 30 days extra. I wouldn't bring any more than that, just because I think customs doesn't really like to see more than that. But uh-huh. and, and people ask me, they're like, how did you get 30 days of medications? Literally over a year of ordering at as, as early as I possibly could, you know, like ordering yeah. the, the prescription as early as I could. But yeah, that's it's it's spooky when you think about it. And we don't have access to transportation either. Like of course it's arranged to and from the airport. But beyond that, I'd be like on an Uber as well. <laughs> oh, and by the way, the medications have different names overseas. Oh wow. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean Oh, I'll I'll give you an anecdotal one. So I used to keep my extras, my spare medications in my roller bag. And on one of the very first trips over in Europe, we were driving down the freeway and this car goes driving by honking its horn. And my captain looks over at me and he he yells to the bus driver and he's like, hey, your cargo door is open. And we all hold our breath for like oh the next God. about like 10 minutes on the way to the airport. Like, oh, did any bags go out onto the freeway? You know, like. Did, did he close the cargo d- door before, you know, I could lose my medications, you know, in my bag? I'm like, well, I've got like seven days with me. But beyond that, <laughs> no. so now I actually carry it like on me, <laughs> you know, like with a side bag. Yeah, I'll carry that on the bus backpack. with me. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Not no, I always just have a backpack with me everywhere now. I mean, in general, like living in New York, most people do that, but I always have my meds on me, even when I'm traveling. Exactly. And I, I have kind of like a little side backpack that I take out for the day. And mm-hmm. I always keep an extra set in those just in case, you know, it's not on my mind when I go yeah. out for my jog. Yeah. Has being a transplant recipient changed the way that you see your career? Like, do you want to like fly to different places more? Is there anything that basically becoming a transplant recipient has changed about you being a pilot? 
So in general, no, because I went into this with polycystic kidney disease. So, you know, of course, you know, I got into high school and I was like, well, maybe I can't like maybe because of this kidney disease, I might not be able to medically qualify. But once I did, I was like full force, you know, I'm going to return to it if I can medically qualify to fly and feel well. I mean, I don't underestimate the fact that I have a ton of responsibility and I'm responsible for all these passengers. So if ever there would be a day where I'm like, I am no longer fit to do this, I would be the first person to ground myself. But beyond that, like by and large, no, it hasn't. That said, you know, returning to work post-transplant in my career, I was a lot more careful about waving everything down up front. And I was a lot more like hyper aware when people would show up and not cover their cough, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like you start, yeah, you start realizing that people show up to work with, you're like, are you sick? <laughs> <laughs> so I was a little bit more aware of that. And that's something that we can't really control, you know? So I think the only time that my, my views about my career ever cha- changed were through the pandemic. But you know, that was short lived, thankfully, thank, mm-hmm. thank science that we were able to get the vaccines. And, you know, Johns Hopkins and other researchers that have gone through and realized, hey, we need an extra dose, um, mm-hmm. shield, all of these things, um, that helped me to return. But I mean, all of us would not be here today if it wasn't for science. For science I don't know. It's just, it's, and in our donors, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I love it. I mean, if you can go to work every day and most days it doesn't feel like work, it's a blessing. And I couldn't see myself doing anything else unless I have to. (laughs) That's really nice to hear. I hope we always all feel like that about whatever careers that we're doing. It's nice to know that a pilot feels like that too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. You know, I just... It's something I fell into and it grabbed my heart and it's something mm-hmm. that the view will never get old. And that actually, we, you know, when you think about the views about the career, I never knew I would appreciate the view even more than I already did. You know, That's realizing that you have the second chance at life and then you get to look out and you get to see these incredible things like mm-hmm. the, the Northern Lights. I saw the Northern Lights flying over Greenland um, a couple months ago. And it was just absolutely spectacular. And I would never have been in that place, you know, flying over the ocean if it wasn't for my donor. The more you talk, the cooler and cooler your stories get. I know. (laughs) You know, I really want to, that's my number one destination that I really want to go to is Northern, well, Northern Lights and like Jackson Hole. So (laughs) someday I'm going to. That's really cool. very, very got. cool. Yeah, it's it's cold, but a lot of people go to Fairbanks for Northern Lights. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's yeah. chilly. Negative 40. Wow. <laughs> Worth it for that view, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Um, as long as you dress appropriately, right? Yeah. <laughs> but with that being said, we have some fun questions for you. Do you prefer the aisle seat or the window seat? <laughs> okay, if window seat. So hands down. What was it called when you like sit with the passengers again? Uh, positive. <laughs> okay, well that's positive space, but we also oh, this one's fun. We call it deadhead. So we what deadhead. That? That's when they reposition pilots. So oh. if if they need to reposition a pilot in the back as a passenger, it's a deadhead flight. That's like in catch me if you can. 
Yeah, exactly. He's the deadhead all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <That's how> he, <laughs> I have no idea where they came up with that nine, you know, that, that <laughs> word, but yeah, it's called a deadhead play. Um, window seat every time, because yeah. I'm not afraid to like poke the people next to me and say, I've got to go to the bathroom, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do the same thing. I prefer window by like a million times. And some people are always like, why would you? I'm like, you get to see the view. I don't care if I have to like ask someone to step out for a second just so I can use the restroom. I can see the view. That's all I really care about. Exactly. Yeah. Hands down. And I'm glad you enjoy the view too. Yeah, still do. Awesome. What about when you get asked for, what is it now? It's like cookies or pretzels. Which one do you choose? (laughs) That's a good question. I, I still like the cookies. Because yeah. they go well with my coffee that I carry on board. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't drink the coffee. <laughs> I've heard that. Is that true? <laughs> well, they use potable water for the coffee. I so I, I think it's just better. I bring like a little mug, you know, you can invest yeah. in a mug and it'll keep it'll keep it warm all day. <laughs> so bring your bring your own coffee. Although, you know, prior to transplant, I drank the coffee all the time and I never got sick. So (laughs) I'm sure I've had it. Like, I'm just generally not a coffee drinker, but I'm sure I've had it and I've been fine. But I keep hearing that to to not drink the coffee. I mean, it's probably what we have at the hospital half the time, like instant coffee from, you know, who knows what kind of water. So (laughs) I'm still always grateful for the coffee in the hospital. You know, at least it's something. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And then some uh, some other random question um, has nothing to do with what you prefer, but sometimes I'll have like flight attendants or the pilots in the back, like sitting with us. Is that because they're going back home or is that like, do they just get a free flight anywhere they want to go? Or is there a different <laughs> Okay, I always answer this interesting. Um, it is a perk of the job, yes, but realize oh, we're so like cool. literally we're we're the last person that gets on the plane, so that's one reason. Um, uh-huh. But if I'm doing that, I'm usually dressed like in a normal person. I'm not in my uniform. Um, quite yeah. often, if they're in their uniform, they're either deadheading, right, and that's a uh-huh. name for both pilots or flight attendants, or they're commuting home. So what I a see. lot of us do. And for what I I did most of my life um, as a pilot, I commuted from where I lived to where I worked. So the greatest thing about the job is you can literally live anywhere. There are literally people that commute from other countries. Um, It got a lot harder during COVID, of course, um, with the limited flights. But yeah, you can commute to and from work. And again, that's, that's a standby basis. Or sometimes they're jump seating. So we have an extra seat up front and the flight attendants typically have an extra seat as well. But when there's a seat with the passengers, it's usually a little bit more comfortable. So we kind of shift back to that seat to sit there. Is the jump yep. seat the one that like comes out of the wall that's like sitting forward? Is that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> typically it's the one that's kind of in the aisle, like when you're looking forward. Yep. Also, I probably sound super dumb to all your pilot friends, but <laughs> not not at all. No, <laughs> I would sound super dumb if I started saying medical words. You've been a patient for like, I don't know, over 30 years, right? Like 20, 30 years. So I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm getting closer to 40. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> professional patient. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Do you have anything you want to share with us? Or anything you, know, you wanted to promote? Oh, well, organ donation, 110%. <laughs> Sign up to be an organ donor and tell your family how important it is. You never know who you will save. You might save the, the doctor. You might save a pilot, a mom, a dad, like a baby that grows up mm-hmm. to be one of those things. Uh, it's just, it's absolutely awesome in every sense of the way to receive this gift and to remember that person that's done it for us. So it's a huge impact. Right. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Very well said. That's the other thing is take the trip. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're a transplant recipient and there, you have a dream place that you want to go to and your transplant team is on board, which in general, I think they really want to encourage us to return to, you know, our lives and take and make the most of this then take the trip. I've learned so many things through just traveling on my own time. Um, you can make some incredible memories that are priceless, like absolutely priceless. I love that advice. Thank you. So before we end, I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on. Um, all of our listeners out there, you can follow um, her right now on Travels with Transplant uh, on Instagram. It's a great Instagram follow. Um, a few of the tips and tricks that I think uh, you promoted a few times that I would want to plug is the planning for the sun. Always plan for the sun if you are a transplant patient or immunocompromised. You can use a, a waterproof cell phone case as a pill holder was a fun tidbit I got from your Instagram. And the big important one, always hydrate. And that special tidbit you gave us today, which was that planes are about as dry as the desert. So make sure you are hydrating while on the plane itself. Yeah. Yes. I would not be a kidney transplant recipient without saying, yeah, take care of your kidneys. Hydrate. <laughs> go, to the, right. go to the bathroom when you have to, right? <laughs> right. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's like, it's been beyond an honor. You guys you're incredibly inspiring yourselves and um, it's an honor to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you for doing this with us. It's been a lot of fun. (laughs) Let's do it again someday. Thank you again to travels with transplant for coming on the podcast. Be for sure to follow her Instagram. It's travels with transplant. And thank you to everyone for listening. We will be back at some point again with future episodes. Thanks for listening to us today. It's both sides of the stethoscope. You can f- email us at both sides of the stethoscope at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at both sides of the stethoscope. Bye. Bye.